0: Awesome. Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving. You know, when I grew up, Thanksgiving was a time when my family would gather around the table and we would take turns just sharing the things that we're thankful for. And uh, with Thanksgiving coming and that being today and having the privilege of sharing the message, I couldn't help but reflect on the most significant thing in my life that I'm thankful for. And it was a pivotal moment in my life that absolutely changed me. And I tell you that uh, I'm a different man standing here than I used to be. And not all of you would know my story, but I'm going to start by sharing a bit of a personal story of what God did in my life. And uh, I assure you that I'm a different person, which most of you will know me as. But I wasn't always somebody that would stand up here with a smiling face. I wasn't always somebody that served God and loved God. And there was a specific time in my life where I had come through High school, which was a long time ago, you can tell by the balding head over here, it was a long time ago. But I came through high school, and uh, I was caught up with my friends in a party scene, into drugs, alcohol, got in trouble with police. I probably should have a criminal record. I'm grateful that I don't. But in this time in my life, things were getting darker and darker, and I was headed down a path that was pretty scary. And my friends were a little bit ahead of me in some of those areas. And I was watching and realizing that where they were headed was not a good place. And I wanted out. I didn't know how to find a way out. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out in my own strength and own ability. And I'm sure some of you have been there before, but I had known God and I had walked a long way away from him. But you know, God never gave up on me. Probably should have, but he didn't. He never gave up on me, and he found me in my mess, and he pulled me out of darkness, and he pulled me out of that mess, and he brought me into a new place. He brought me into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And for me, friends, it was this revelation that Jesus saves that changed my world. And it actually didn't happen until a pretty significant time when um, I was kind of sitting on the fence. I'd been to Oceanside a few times, and Wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. I decided to go out partying with some friends. I drank some liquid courage. That's whiskey for all of you that don't know that. And I managed to get myself in a fight with a football team. So uh, I assure you that that's not a good idea. And uh, it wasn't one, there was a few. And one of them decided to grab a rather large bottle and break it over my head. And I realized that that wasn't a punch in the moment. And then blood started to kind of gush all over my face and I couldn't see. People were screaming. Somebody brought me inside the home. It's a pretty graphic picture, but this was real, friends. This is what happened. Um, They literally, as I came into the house, they brought me in, tried to clean me up. I couldn't really see. Uh, Ended up making a mess of the owner's home. They had to paint the walls. They actually had to paint the ceiling. I don't know why or how that happened, but there was enough blood that that was what happened. I found myself sitting in the back of a police car in one moment, waiting for the ambulance to come, keeping pressure on cuts. And honestly, friends, I didn't think I was going to make it. And that was a very surreal moment for me and a surreal conversation with God going, how did I get here? And that was it for me. In that moment, um, that conversation with God, I was helpless. There was nothing I could do. The ambulance attendant came and between the ambulance attendant and the eMERGE doc, both of them said the same thing. When they saw me and they looked at my neck, which had a nice big gash in it, they said, you are so lucky to be here. They could see my carotid artery, and they said, if this was an inch deeper, you wouldn't be here. And it just woke me up, guys. It woke me up and realized that that I needed Jesus, that I needed a Savior, that I couldn't become a good person in my own strength and ability. And That was it. I was done with sin. I was done being friends with sin. This revelation that Jesus saves, this revelation of Romans 5, 8, that says, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This put my life in perspective. Now, maybe you guys have had moments in your life where your life's been put in perspective, but did you know that there's going to become a time when everything will be put in perspective? When we see Jesus in his full glory, everything will be put in perspective. Now, I kind of like to, I like to cheat and skip to the end of the Bible and kind of look and see sort of what happens. And there's a picture that demonstrates this. And I think even this morning, we've sung of it, but friends, it's a glimpse. But let me show you what the scripture says in, uh, in Revelation. Because one day, friends, we're all going to see this. In Revelations 5.12, we see that John has this picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, which we've been singing about. And he says that all of heaven came and sang a new song of worship saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Say everything, everything Everything. to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Wow. What a picture. What a picture. Literally everything worshiping and exalting God. This revelation that Jesus, the Savior, was what changed my life. And one day we're all going to see Jesus in this full glory, and I'm excited for that. But until then, this morning, I want to go back through Scripture, and I want to look at this picture of Jesus the Lamb, because I believe that God has some things to show us through his word. And as we look back through a story in Exodus, we're going to look through it to Jesus, the one that saves us in our mess and the one that brings us into eternal life so that we can spend eternity worshiping with Jesus. How many of you are excited for that? All right. I am. I'm grateful to be here. Exodus 12. So let me catch you up. The Israelites had been held captive for about 430 years. For the past 80 years, the Egyptians were killing the firstborn male by throwing him in the river. How many are a firstborn in this room? All right, you wouldn't be here. They were killing all of the firstborn. And God was on a rescue mission to redeem these people out of slavery and out of bondage. He sent nine plagues, giving the Egyptians the chance to let the people go. It didn't happen. So finally... There was a tenth plague that came that was to be the death of the firstborn. And it wasn't just the male. It was the death of the firstborn. And it was basically divine retribution for what the Egyptians had done to the Israelites. Scary time. If we read in Scripture, in Exodus 12, it says this. That God gives instruction to Moses. I'm going to read from... 12.3 12:3 through to 12 or through to 13 here it says tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the of this month every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house a lamb for a household and if the household is too small for a lamb then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons according to what each can eat you shall make your Your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasting it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat anything of its raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs, its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned to you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." So here we see that God's going to cause the firstborn to die in the land, that only the Israelites that have partaken of the Passover and put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the pillars of their home would be spared. So he gives them instruction. And then he says this, that going forward, that they're to hold a feast of unleavened bread to remember them, or to remember the Lord, sorry, and what he had done in removing them from Egypt. So if we look at verse 14 and 15, we see this instruction. He says, This shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened for the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So they're to do this every year. And even as they enter the promised land, they're not to forget this. They're to continue to do this so the generations to come would know. And that's what it says if you carry on in the story in verse 24 and 27. It says, you shall observe the right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service, and when your children say to you, "What do you mean by what, is, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the lord 's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped so they're to celebrate with a feast of unleavened bread unleavened bread. For those of you that don't know this, it's bread that hasn't had yeast. It hasn't had the opportunity to to, um, rise. So just think of dry crackers. It was a feast of dry crackers, not very exciting. Um, But what was the point of that? There is a symbol here. This is symbolic. Yeast was symbolic of sin and spiritual corruption. So in essence, this feast is a purifying of sin and emphasizing the need to be saving, the need to be saved. It's a remembrance that, that what God had done in bringing them out of Egypt was bringing them out of the bondage that they were in. So sure enough, they followed through. If you carry on reading through the Old Testament, you'll see that in Numbers 9, that they do this. They follow through, they keep the Passover, and it carries on. And I love, friends, that the Old Testament is full of scriptures that point to Jesus. It's full of stories and things that point to Jesus. And this is one of them. Um, We actually see here that The Passover is a foreshadow of the coming Christ. The same Jesus that I was referencing that saved me out of my mess and brought me out of the bondage of sin and into life. It's the same picture of this lamb, the sacrificial lamb that went to the cross. Jesus died for us so that we could be saved out of our mess and come into salvation and spend eternity with him. So this is essentially a typology of Christ. Typology is another word for symbolism. And we see the lamb is a type of Christ. Really just meaning we could replace the lamb with Jesus. And I'm going to show you more in the story as we carry on. So as we see that the lamb was slain and sacrificed, this points to the fact that Jesus would come and be sacrificed. God was setting the Israelites up. He was pointing to Jesus Remember that they were to do this sacrifice, that they, were to, that they were to do this Passover, that they were to carry on with this feast of unleavened bread, every generation, ongoing. So all the way through, every generation would be pointing to Jesus. And you know, some people see this, see, some people get what God's up to early, some people it might take a little bit. I don't know if you're like me, where it takes a while for the penny to drop, and you know circumstances are mounting up, and you're wondering what on earth are you up to, God, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you go, oh, there it is! I can't believe I didn't see it. So I I'm like that. But John wasn't. Um, John the Baptist. He was a keener. He was able to see what God was up to sooner. And I love his account of Jesus. In John one twenty nine, he sees Jesus walking toward him. And what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. So he had a revelation of who Jesus was before Jesus even started his ministry. I hope that at some point I get some revelation like that where I see what God's up to um, before the penny drops. That'd be great. Um, (laughs) But God likes to keep us guessing sometimes. So We also see that even after Jesus had finished his work and the cross comes and he goes to heaven, that through scripture that there's those that that get it after the fact. I'm just gonna share a scripture. The Apostle Peter writes this after the fact, he says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we see Jesus, friends, as the lamb of God. And what can we learn from this story in the Old Testament? What can we learn? How is this relevant for us? What does this tell us about Jesus? If there's one statement that I want you to leave with today, it's what I'm going to say right now. It's not this story of Paul in a past life, I can't believe you were a bad person. It's this. It's when we partake of all of Jesus on His terms, we can celebrate freedom from the bondage of sin. I'm gonna say it again: when we partake of all of Jesus on His terms, we can celebrate freedom from the bondage of sin. So we're gonna break this down, and I'm gonna show you how we can claim this. in um, In the first part of that, we partake. Friends, Jesus is a choice. Jesus has always been a choice. The lamb was a choice for the Israelites. Sure, the alternative was death. Okay, it would be a bad idea not to follow through with the instructions God gave, but they had the choice, friends. They had the choice. In Exodus 12, 13, it says, the blood will be assigned to you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So if he didn't see the blood... He wasn't going to pass over. This was a choice. So they chose to partake the way that God instructed them. They chose to put the blood on the mantle of their house so that they would live. So all of you that put your hands up as a firstborn, you would all still be here. So in the same way, we see Jesus as a choice. John 6.40 in the ESV says this, For this is the will of my Father, says Jesus speaking, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. We can look to the Son and not believe in him. We can look to Jesus and know of Jesus, but not choose Jesus. We have an option to choose Jesus, friends. So not only is he a choice, but he was the only choice that leads to life. He's the only choice that leads to life. Not all roads lead to heaven, friends. There's lots of things out there in the world, other religions or ways to live or mantras to do life, but none of them will bring us into eternity with, with God. None of us will repair the irreparable. None of us can, in our own ability or through any other means, pay for this, this sin in our lives? Only Jesus, only the sacrificial lamb. You follow me? And why is that? Why is it only Jesus? Well, Exodus twelve five, looking at the lamb, it says, a lamb without spot or blemish. So the smallest deformity would have made that sacrifice unworthy. So what that means is really us in our own ability, we have small blemishes, don't we? Whether you want to admit it or not, friends, we have small blemishes. And we can't do it. We can't be the sacrifice. Only Jesus could. He was without sin, without spot or blemish. Hebrews seven twenty six tells us this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, referring to Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. No one else, friends, no one else could atone for our sin. No one else could be this sacrifice. No one else was sinless. So when we partake of, the next part, all of Jesus, all of Jesus, not a morsel, not a portion, all of Jesus. I love lamb. I will admit to you that I love eating meat. Hope you guys are okay with that. I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian in the room. Um, I do eat chicken too. I think that's a vegetable. Um, But (laughs) when I read this, the account of a lamb as the sacrifice. I'm totally with God. Lamb on the fire. Yes. That is the way to eat lamb. I love that he didn't even let them boil it. That would be a terrible idea. Eat it raw. That might be a little gross. No, those weren't options. It was over the fire. He had me at fire. But in the story, do you know where he lost me? He lost me when he said he had to keep the head on and the legs and the innards. You remember me reading that? I kind of skipped through it. Hoped you didn't hear all of that. But he said, roast the whole thing. It's actually a picture of all of Jesus, 100%. Um, I love it because it does carry symbolic weight for us that we don't get to just pick and choose what part of Jesus we like, what part of Jesus we want to partake of. The world might say, oh, well, Jesus was a nice prophet. Jesus was a good person. I like what Jesus said about this, but I don't like what he said about that. I can believe Jesus and what he said about these things, but I'm not okay with what he said about healing. Friends, we don't get to pick and choose. It's all of Jesus. And we must, when we choose Jesus, we must choose all of him. We accept everything that he says as truth. Amen? Amen. We don't get to pick and choose. So, what else do we got in this? So, if we want all of Jesus, we choose all of Jesus. If we want it all, we choose all. If we want all of what he has for us, we've got to choose all of Jesus. So, We partake of all of Jesus on our own terms. No? You sure? Okay, it says we partake of all of Jesus on his terms. He really lays out some specifics here when referring to how the sacrifice and how this Feast of Unleavened Bread would be done. He lays it out. It's pretty specific. Remember, he says over the fire, it's gotta be all of it. It's gotta be cooked. He says whatever you Whatever you don't eat, you've got to burn or you've got to share it. Nothing lasts till the morning. And you couldn't just cook part of it. You had to cook it all. Uh, You couldn't say, well, maybe I'm not that hungry right now. I'm just going to save some of this for later. Friends, it was not an option. So for us, what does this tell us? If we want to follow in what God has for us, if we want to come out of Sin and bondage and walk into the promises of God, which was the future of where the Israelites were to go, that we need to do things on His terms. That it's His ways, not our ways. So it didn't work for the Israelites to to do it on their terms, and it doesn't work for us to do it on ours. We can't say, I'm okay with Jesus dying for me, but I will sort out sin on my own terms when I'm ready. I'll deal with those things. We got to deal with them. That's not how this works. Jesus died for all of our sin. Somebody say all. But only he could do it. And he wasn't coming just selling fire insurance, friends. He was selling something so much more. He was giving us a hope and a future. He was giving us life to the fullest while we're here and eternity with God. Man, if if life on his terms looks like that, fullness while I'm here, while I have every breath, I want it. If fullness on his terms looks like eternity with Jesus, I want it. So it's his terms for relationship. And it's also his terms when I say, when we talk about relationship, because God wants intimate and continual relationship. His terms, if you think of the context of relationship, they're not just a once a Sunday, once a week relationship. God's not looking for casual relationship here. He's looking for intimate, real relationship daily that we talk to him, that we spend time with him. How do you think your spouse would feel if you only saw them once a week? How would you feel if you only saw your spouse once a week? Okay, okay, I know some of you are thinking that would be great. I could watch football and rugby. I could hang out with the boys. I could go have tea parties with my girls. Okay, the Lord knows your heart, all right? (laughs) But let's take it a little further. Let's take it a little further when we talk about relationship on his terms. Well, how about how healthy would that relationship be? be with on that one week, you know, or, or sorry, on that one day in the week when you see your spouse, that the purpose of that encounter is to make sure your needs are met and that they hear what you want and it's all about you. How good would that relationship be? Pretty, yeah, maybe you wouldn't have one, right? Interesting, but sometimes we want relationship on our terms with God and it can look like this, can it? But that's not the relationship that God has for us. So on his terms also means in the context of relationship that we take it seriously, that we spend time with him, that it's real. It's not just casual. All right. Some of you are thinking, okay, I need to tell my wife or I need to tell my husband. But it's good. This is what God has for us. just thinking about, we sing about this picture of his blood and we talk about his terms. You know, also in in this point, we see that it was the blood that was the thing that recognized that Jesus had well, in the context of the Israelites, that the lamb had been sacrificed and that the blood was on the doorpost over that house. You know, it's the same for us, friends, that when we allow the blood of Christ to come and wash us clean, cleanse us, man, that's his terms. Washed clean, set apart, pulled out as white as snow. It's so much better on his terms. Cleansing can come on his terms. If it's ours, we don 't do a very good job of it we can 't, and I love that. I love that Jesus came and washed us, washed us free, washed us clean, and with that, the power of sin is broken over us. We are free. So I just thought we were singing and we were worshiping i 'd love to put up a slide we were singing if um, Tim could put that up. We were singing about this earlier. You see, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So on his terms also points to him as Lord of our lives. And I love this picture because this shows that not only Jesus is Savior as Lamb, but He's also Lord. And the picture is that of a lion. He's Lord. He's the one that's ruling. He's both lion and lamb. And you know what when Jesus is Lord when his terms means we put him in place as Lord it means that we are free it means that he breaks the chains over our lives that we can walk into freedom he brings us into life this is powerful this is why we sing about this friends this is what God has for us so when we choose all of Jesus on his terms what's next We can celebrate freedom from the bondage of sin. You see, the Israelites escaped from Egypt. They celebrated the Passover with the Feast of unleavened Bread every year going forward. It says in Exodus 14 that this will be a memorial day or a feast to the Lord. It would be a statute that would stand forever. And then he says that we're to do this, and we can pull the slide down, but he says referring to leaven, that we're to remove leaven from our homes. We're to remove the yeast out. Now, for those of you that remember, leaven or yeast is referring to sin or spiritual corruption. So to remove leaven from your home was actually the sober reality of removing sin out from our lives. Now, I don't know if we have any bakers in the house. Anybody want to raise your hand? Bakers, winemakers, beer makers, Yeah, don't put up your hand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But one of the things that you'll know is that actually yeast is airborne. It's natural. How hard would it be to actually remove yeast from your home? It's actually pretty hard. It naturally just comes in and starts to fester and changes either bread or an example is wine or beer. When you make them, yeast will come in. If you don't add yeast, it's going to find yeast and it's going to start fermenting. The process will start. So I love this because forever they're to do this feast of unleavened bread, which is pointing to Jesus. And they're constantly reminded of removing sin out of their lives. But it's almost impossible. It's really hard to remove leaven, right? And it also doesn't taste good to have bread that doesn't rise either. But I love it because it points to Jesus. It points to the need of a Savior. So that when Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, comes, we would gladly, not just accept him, but choose him, partake of him, because he was coming to redeem us. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7 talks about this and says, I'm reading from the message that the Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal. So he's, this is post-Jesus, and we are the unraised bread, part of the feast, so let's live out our part of the feast, not as raised bread swollen with the yeast of evil, but as flat bread, simple, genuine, unpretentious. Friends, Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin and to bring us into life. i just going to ask if the worship team would come up, and just a few things in summary to say here. When we when we look at the story of the Passover. We have to see Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the one that's brought us into his purposes, into his promises. I'd love to keep telling you the story of Exodus and what's to come and what God does because there's so much, but you're going to hear from some other fabulous folks, my wife next week. Excited for that. You guys are too. Good. All right. But, When we partake of all of Jesus on his terms, we're free from the bondage of sin. So I just feel like saying this morning for you, I really believe that there's people here that when you hear the context of what we're talking through and you hear that it's all of Jesus, not just part, that it's on his terms— not our terms, that you probably can look at yourself and go, I might have some adjustments to make with my relationship with Jesus. That's a really good place to be. I constantly have adjustments to make with Jesus. And I love that my Jesus is gracious and (laughs) his grace knows no bounds and he wants to restore us to full relationship. He's walking with us. You see, grace is what brings us from wherever you are, into wherever he's taking us, which is into the fullness of Jesus. And we're going to worship him for a bit here, friends. And I'm going to ask that you stand. And we're going to take a moment and we're actually going to focus on Jesus. And this is between you and him. On his terms means it's your relationship. It's you and him. We don't get to have relationships through another person or through a pastor when it comes to God. God doesn't have grandkids I know there's people in the house that love grandkids, but God doesn't have grandkids. What God has is sons and daughters, and his terms means personal and intimate relationship. And he wants you to have all of him so that he can have all of you and that you can walk into what he has for you. So if that's you this morning, if you need to have a conversation with God about all of him, And about his terms, we want to make space. And as we worship, do that right where you are. Do that right where you are. But as we worship, I also feel that this morning, that if you hear this word, if you hear this sacrificial lamb, if you hear a story of a man that was absolute, in absolute mess, you heard some of my story. I haven't even shared it all. And you see what God can do, Sir Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, and you want him to be Lord, the one that rules and reigns in your life, then friends, it's a choice. And that first step is choosing Jesus and partaking of him. And as we worship, if that's you, do not hesitate. Come and choose Jesus. Come up front. We wanna pray with you. We're gonna make space to pray with you while everybody's worshiping. I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up. I want you to come to the front. I wanna pray with you. We've got a team here that wants to stand with you. Uh, And we want to introduce you to this Jesus because he'll change your life and it'll be incredible. Best thing you'll ever do in your life. Amen? Amen? Let's worship Jesus.